This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets travel down south for a Premier League away fixture to high-flying Watford, aiming to make it four straight wins. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and um, welcome to the Known and Ever podcast. Um, and oh my God, what has just happened in the dying minutes of the Watford game? Um, coming off Vicarage Road, that's it. But Burnley have drawn nil-nil with Watford. But oh my God, actually put the ball in the back of the net and they're what, 93rd, 94th maybe minute and um, ruled offside. And I, oh my God, it was on. It was definitely on. It looked on and um, seeing... All sorts of reports on social media. I'm seeing screenshots and it looks like he's offside. I just no, not offside. It looks like he's onside. I don't really know how that's been given as offside. But, um, but okay. Um, that's five unbeaten clarets. We have got, um, a draw away at Vicarage Road. And if I'm brutally honest, before the game, I kind of said that I would take a point. I thought that, um, it was going to be a really tricky game. I didn't actually expect us to stay in the game as much as we did. And I think that was a really well-fought point. Um, Burnley are definitely looking back to their beautiful, stubborn self. Um, they defended really well. Rode the look maybe a couple of times and, again, were pretty guilty of not putting some chances in the net. But um, I think the, there's not an awful lot to talk about other than that kind of controversial... Well, is it controversial? Are we going controversial? Right, okay. Let's let's kind of analyse this. It was it was tight. Of course it was tight. Um, to me, my instinct was is that you've got to give it as onside. It's one of those where you give it as a goal and then you look at it afterwards and go, oh, but it might have just been slightly offside by a, a heel not... Or is definitely on... It's definitely offside and we have to give it as offside. Um... It does feel a little bit when the chips are down that decisions do go against you, doesn't it? Um, and that would have just been an incredible fourth win on the trot if we could have um, just managed to get that goal put through successfully. Um, some really good performances this afternoon. I think I think Barsley was looking really good again at right back. Um, I think Hendrick put in a good performance. I'm actually quite enjoying having him on that right side of midfield. Um I'm not sure there was a massive amount we can say about um, Barnes and um, Wood up front. I think Barnes was the more productive of the two. Um, But what can you say? It looked like Wood had won it for us at the end and it wasn't given. Um, Let's take the positives. Five unbeaten. Really, really good point away from home. Um, We've got Southampton next, which is a massive game. Let's just take it as what it is. Um, A point towards safety Um, I'll see you on Monday and we'll talk through it more indeed and here we are back in the studio and joining me are Robert and Statman Dave gentlemen good evening hiya good evening <laughs> so we had immediate match reaction there um coming off the Watford game and I think that was that the immediate aftermath of that game was very much dominated by that 
um, decision right in the dying minutes of the game that robbed us of three points, which no doubt we'll come on to soon. But um, it's been um, it's been a positive week. We're gonna you go. We're gonna we're gonna say that this is a positive result. Clarets, as as we say, went down to Watford, um, managed to get a nil nil draw. And considering the form that Watford were in before we came into that game and the fact that they're offline high in that table and very much pushing for European football themselves, um, a point's a pretty good result. I think most points away from home in the Premier League are positives to be taken. Um, Takes us into 16th in the league makes it four games unbeaten now um, and puts us on 22 points and three points clear of safety. Now, most importantly, and I don't think I'd realised this actually until I, I read the reports after the game, makes means we're unbeaten in 2019, which if we ignore the fact that it is only the 22nd of January, we can take that as a positive. Um, Dave, Robbie, obviously we've just heard my immediate um, reaction to the game, but Robbie, let's start with you. What was your what was your gut telling you when that final whistle went on Saturday? I, f- I, f- I felt as if it was two points dropped a little bit because I thought it was probably one of our one of our best performances of the season, certainly away from home anyway. Um, and obviously, when you see the the flag go up when Chris Wood puts the ball home, it does, and you see it, it's onside as well. It is a bit bit of a signal, but. I thought we created the, the the better chances. I thought of the chances Watford did create. I thought you you there there were saves you'd expect Tom Hewton to make, but um, Ashley Barnes could have had a brace. Uh, Chris Wood had a or probably his probably his best performance for us in a long long time. Uh, Dwight McNeil probably should have scored with a volley. You know there was a handful of really big chances for us and we just couldn't take them. Yeah, completely. Dave, what was your instinct? Would you share those views? Did you see it as a point gained or did you see it as as uh, two points dropped? Um, I think you can see both sides of it. I mean, before the game, we'd have um, probably taken a point, I think. When you look on the balance of the game, the chances, Burnley definitely had the better chances. Um, obviously, the one at the end with uh, with Chris Wood is one of those where... Is, is it going to get given if uh, we get VAR next season? I don't know. That's uh, still debatable. It, it, I'm not sure we've ironed that out yet. And I think there may still be changes to the offside rule to try and come in line with uh, with VAR because it's very sort of, uh, well, very much of a grey area the way it is. But on the balance of the game, yeah, very much so. Although going back to the start of the game, we, we started very, very nervously. Um, they had a really good chance, well, two really good chances in the first five minutes. We had one where... Uh, ball over the top, um, and they nearly scored. Tom Heaton did really well, um, and then uh, James Tarkovsky cleared one off the line as well. So, could have been very different if we'd have conceded early on in the game, but thankfully we didn't. Uh, we got back into the game, and uh, yeah, the, the chances we had on the balance of it were were much better than uh, than Watford's. They really were. We'll, we'll come on to the chances in a moment. I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves just yet with with what uh, we're going to cover later on in the podcast. But Robbie, I thought it was a really entertaining nil-nil. And I think one thing that we can maybe look at is the fact that both teams did create quite a lot of chances and it defies the the stats where you would sorry, it defies the the reports where you would suggest in a nil-nil's a pretty boring game. I thought both sides created enough to make it a really, really entertaining game of football. Yeah, I think um, I think both sides were obviously I've had a bit more confidence. Like what you, you mentioned, Watford's run of form. I think it's uh, one defeat in the last eight or nine games. Uh, like you said, we, we were undefeated in 2019. So both teams uh, were in relatively good form going into it. So probably both sides felt confident of, of picking, picking up all three points. And both sides just went for it, really. And uh, I was really surprised at how how well we come into the game after like what Dave mentioned, the early start, we started really nervously, but I thought in midfield, we looked really composed. I thought we mixed our play really well. And it was just a shame we couldn't, couldn't find a, put, put the ball in the net and get that goal really yeah it really is well let's stick with that because obviously you've, you've both mentioned this start that we had and I think that's one thing that maybe concerned me a little bit about the game um, we've had this happen quite a few times this season where Burnley have just been a little bit slow off the starting block um, Fulham the obvious example recently albeit that was a ridiculous <laughs> strike that that put put them ahead but that, there has been quite a few instances this season where we've just been a bit sluggish to start the game heads haven't been completely there and the A game hasn't been brought and we've found ourselves really behind very early on in the game and and Robbie it was very nearly the case again um, at, the, at the start of this game if it wasn't for um, Heaton saving making a very early save we would have been 
you know, starting the game one nil down and having to change our game plan in the opening minutes. What, can you put your finger on what it is that's maybe bothering them in the early stages of this game? Is it nerves? Is it? I don't think it's complacency because I can't imagine Dyche sets it sets his teams up that way. Do you think it's more nerves? Do you think it's a bit of fear creeping in? Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, yeah, it is a weird one because. Even when we've gone on one games, we we do start slowly, like you mentioned, Fulham, um, the two 0 win again uh, against West Ham at Turf just after the Everton defeat. We started really slowly. Then where Bonner had a header inside the box, which which he probably should have scored, and it it's, it seems to be a bit of a trend with us at the moment where we just don't settle into a game. It takes maybe a really big opportunity for the for the other side to maybe like take the lead and we seems to like kick us into gear. So as long as they don't score and we eventually do like come into the game, I don't really care. I'm pretty sure Dutch will probably disagree with that. I love Robbie's managerial style. I'd love to see you manage a club one day, Robbie. I think you'd be brilliant. You'd just be like, eh, it's right. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Um, Dave, one of the things obviously we, we talk about with, with this early start is, is Watford essentially came out of the blocks on fire, didn't they? It looked in the first 10 minutes of that game that they were going to give us a right pace and we were either going to have to cling on for a nil-nil or just get absolutely battered. But that really wasn't the case. Um, once we had got our heads into the game um, more effectively, we really started to take, to take control of the game. And, and one of the things that I found unbelievably impressive um, was just the creativity and the chances that we scored. We had 12 shots. 12. This Burnley side had 12 shots, albeit only three of them were on target. But the fact that we had 12 shots in the first place, it's, it surely is that's a sign that, that Deitch is managing to get some, some creativity and some more positive play in this side. Uh, yeah, we certainly created a lot more chances. I mean, the the uh, shots are one thing, you look at that. And what, what I tend to look at um, in retrospect at the game is uh, some of the stats in terms of how the team uh, were shaped, so what what sort of passes were going on as well. So when you look at the um, just the shot stats, that tells you one thing. When you look at the formation, everything was going through uh, Westwood in the middle. You could see it during the game, and then when you look at it and look at the, um, the, the passes that were made, a lot of it seemed to be going through Ashley Westwood. He was a, a real uh, pivot point in the centre of midfield. And I think we were uh, a lot better than we have been in previous uh, matches early on in the season where we couldn't quite get a, a, a pattern to our game. Um, Chris Wood, I think, held the ball up really well. I think the, um, his hold-up play was really good and that sort of brought other people into, into the game. And I think having Dwight McNeil on the side as well, I mean, they, they had one or two um, issues defensively, let's say, where he lost the ball, but he had a lot of other times where he was creating... Um, he does seem to be a very creative player and gives that creative spark in the side that perhaps we were missing early on in the season. And uh, we've had the news this week that he signed a new long-term contract, which is uh, really good news for uh, for all Burnley fans. Yeah, we'll come on to that later on when we talk about off-the-field stuff. Um, Dave, do you want to just expand on that a little bit? Because um, that's not something that I particularly do. I'm a little bit dinosaurish when it comes to football and I'm, I don't really... This sounds ridiculous. I rely on you for my stats, actually, Dave. <laughs> but things like expected goals ratio and up to stats and things like that, I don't pay a massive amount of attention to just because I prefer to get a feel of the game. And I, th- I think sometimes that can dilute from what you're seeing in front of you. And it doesn't quite tell the full story. But obviously you're saying you, after the game, you you look at, at sort of heat maps, I assume, of the game and see where all the, the, the um, passes are coming from. From what you've seen then, what's... What's Burnley's usual route in terms of shots, and how did that differ on Saturday? And if so, how? Well, the the shots and the pass maps are two separate things. So, in in terms of the um, uh, the shots, it, it, the uh, stats after the game. And again, when the game's on, I'm looking at the game afterwards. It's sometimes good to um, get a, a different perspective on it. So you're you're kind of seeing the game live, and you get a feel for it that way. But then when you look at the stats afterwards and look at all the information that's available, and it's it's hit and miss. Sometimes there are there are sources out there, um, free uh, sources, um, where you can see the information. And then sometimes people will um, post the information on there. They don't do that for all the games, so you don't always get the complete picture. But certainly what I was seeing in some of the games, and, and perhaps I'm, I'm more likely to look at it in some ways when we've had um, a poor performance and a, a loss, we've not played really well, and then you're kind of thinking, well, 
know, why was that happening? You can see yourself what's happening on the pitch, but then have a, um, a secondary perspective and seeing. I mean, I, I think I may have posted this. I mean, we may have discussed it. I think on one of the one or two of the podcasts earlier in the season, where you looked at Burnley's pass map and it was just all over the place. You know, the, the, there wasn't. Um, the, the 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 passes between the players you expect to be you know the, the the passes from the midfield to the to the forwards um you know wing play as well and you looked at the positions of your of your wingers and it just wasn't stacking up in terms of what the team shape was whereas when you looked at the one for Watford um and it, it, it confirmed it, it was good because it confirmed what you could see during the match was that there did seem to be a lot of um structure to our play um, and the way that the players were were set up was working. It was actually, and, and then what you see is the second part from that is the chances that were created. And if you're not doing the first thing, the second thing won't happen. You won't get the chances uh, in the same way that you would if you if you've got a, a good structure to the play. So it, 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 it's more for, for confirmation really to look at afterwards to see the um, the, the the pass maps and the, the formation. And also the the positional um, aspects of the play. And what was notable as well on that was how far forward Dwight McNeil played in terms of his average position. He was almost up there level with um, uh, with Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes as well. His um, uh, forward play uh, was pushing his position right up the field, and you know that that was seen during the game as well. Ah, oh, that's really interesting. I did wonder because it felt to me that McNeil was playing quite far forward on Saturday. Maybe the most forward he's been in the since he came into the side. Is it ten games he's played now? Around that much. Um, and I certainly felt like he was for the first time this season. He was providing the the strikers with a much more natural source of, of, of possession on the wing and shots coming into, sorry, crosses coming into the box and just more of a creative spark than maybe some of our wingers have done before. I think Brady and Goodmanson have in the past and, and Lennon as well tended to sit further, more deep and, and protect the defence, especially in the early part of the season when we were conceding far too many goals. Um, and I definitely felt that on Saturday, I felt like McNeil was playing quite far forward. Um, Robbie, obviously we, we know that we had... Um, quite a lot of, of shots on, 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 well, not shots on target. We had created quite a lot of chances, had quite a lot of shots. And we know very well that Watford on the other end against our goal were also doing the same. They were pushing and trying to create goals. And it was, as I said before, that's what made it as entertaining as it was. As a result of that, it very much turned into the Tom Heaton and Ben Foster. It is Ben Foster, isn't it? Yes, Ben Foster, sure. Um, two absolutely inspired keeper performances. I think Heaton's got man of the match in pretty much every single report that I've seen from, from the goal. He pulled out four pretty amazing saves. Um, but I think Foster himself had three amazing saves. I think given that they've both been involved in, in the England setup, I think that to me just really struck home just how important it is to have the keepers of this calibre in our books at the moment. Yeah, both Manchester United Academy graduates as well. Um, so it's when you have that kind of background, it's I think you're always going to become like a really top goalkeeper. You know me, Natalie. I hate to be proved wrong, but when we had the argument about Joe Hart and whether he was like the deep lying problem in terms of our defensive issues, we look so much better now with Tommy and back in goal. It's what been four or five games now. We look far more resilient. We look far more composed. We don't seem to. We seem to handle the, you know, a bit of when when the sides are putting the ball into the box. Seem to handle like the pressure so much better. And I'm interested to see where we go with our goalkeeping situation now. Well, where do we go with it? I guess I think um, the reports this week, if you read the press, Dyke has come out and said that he isn't entertaining any offers for any of his keepers. This comes from the reports that we, we talked about last week about Preston um, asking us if any of them were available on loan. Um, he said he will consider them only if one of the guys comes to him. Um, I think it was very much tailored around Joe Hart because I think that's the one that everybody assumes will go. Um, he was saying if Joe Hart comes to him and says, look, Afra, this opportunity is coming up and I want to explore it, then he will. But otherwise, he's not interested and he wants all three in his books. But we've talked about this so many times, Robbie. We can't expect to keep all three of them on. I'd be surprised by the end of this transfer window, but surely not going into next season. We can't have all three of them. Yeah, it's uh, certainly with two of them being a lot older as well. Like I think what Joe Hart and Tommy Eaton are in the, well into their 30s now. And, you know, Nick Pope's the younger one. Do you sell Nick Pope and he, you probably get a lot more money for him and have two experienced pros in there or... 
they maybe sell a Tom Heaton for around five million pound and get a decent uh, get a decent amount of money in for a, a, essentially a backup goalkeeper. Would you sell one of those though? Because I think surely most Berlin fans would be of the opinion that if one of them's going to go, they'd want Joe Hart to go. Yeah, I, I think it's a weird one with Joe Hart because he hasn't really done anything wrong to no. to like to merit like losing his place or. Or he didn't do anything like standout-ish. He didn't. He didn't particularly have like a, a particularly poor game for us, and it's a bit of a shame that he's now sat on the bench. Cause I think fans outside the club will probably just think, "Oh, he's had another shocker. He's had another yeah. another spell away from Man City where it hasn't worked out." And you probably think that maybe he has to go into the Championship, or something like that, and maybe rebuild his career again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting actually. I had. Um, I was doing some work with the Fulhamish podcast um, in preview of their game and we were talking about the keeper problem and one of the things he said at the time, um, sorry, what the Fulham guy said at the time was that they genuinely couldn't see any future for Joe Hart now at a Premier League club and it, it sounds harsh to think that but actually I think he might be right and considering that he's come to a side like Burnley that was supposed to have one of the most resilient and stingy defences in the league in front of him but who aren't a fashionable club and who are more seasons going to be trying to avoid relegation in the early in the early years anyway if, if we take last season as an anomaly if it doesn't work for us you'd struggle to see what Premier League club he would be able to go to and um, fit in um, Dave I don't think it helps either that Joe Hart seems to be a real polarising character doesn't he it? it doesn't take much for fans to really get on his back uh, yeah I suppose in that respect there was a, a little bit of a, an uphill battle and uh, you know, our results um, well results in particular and it, it, it's the, at the end of the day, it's a results game, and I mean, Sean Dyche himself said that, that the the final uh, change he made, the only other change he could make, was to change the goalkeeper, and that was more sort of out of well, I've tried everything else, I'm I'm going to give that a try now as well. So um, it, it's a little bit harsh, I think, uh, in some respects, but football is a harsh game, and from a, a goalkeeping perspective, it's one of those positions where you, other than rotating them for cups, and I'm, I'm guessing we we expect Nick Pope. Perhaps to come back in for the uh, for the game at Manchester City, um, it's it's not the sort of um, position where you can do much else with. You've got uh, one position to fill, um, and then you you're looking at probably under twenty three games. I mean the, the the training. I mean it must be fantastic in training having those uh, those three guys. You've got three um, three England goalkeepers. Obviously Nick Pope's only played uh, played the once for England. Tom Heaton's uh, had a few caps, and, and Joe Hart's obviously played a lot of games for England. Um, it must be fantastic down at uh, down at Gawthorpe uh, with those three guys uh, being able to um, work with each other and get the best out of each other. And that's something that um, you know, for the rest of the season, that going forward, that'll be the case. Certainly, while all three are at the club. But going back to what you were asking, Robbie. Yeah, I mean, I think beyond the summer, it's going to be difficult to keep all three of them. I think maybe this window, certainly with what Sean Dyche has said, um, we're not looking to to change things now. Um, but it wouldn't surprise you to see um, some some change. I'm not sure we can go into next season with uh, with all three of those goalkeepers on our books. No, we definitely can't. Uh, one last point. <clears throat> excuse me. One last point on keepers and from you, Dave. Um, People just don't seem to like Joe Hart, which seems really harsh. Um, but as a personality, people seem to just not like him. And it really surprised me that it didn't work from him from a fan perspective at Turf. I think a lot of fans um, don't really back him or support him and, and just want him to go because we've got history of, of taking a polarising character into our I guess, fan base and, and, and being a fan favourite. I mean, look at Joey Barton, for goodness sake. He was one of the most hated characters in football. He came to us and he turned out to be an absolute hero. And I honestly thought that Joe Hart was going to be the same character, but people don't like him. Him as a personality, nothing to do with his play. Yeah, and there's nowhere to hide as well. I mean, in, in terms of the uh, the results, and at the end of the day, the, re- the results are the key thing. That's um, always what's what you're going to come back to. I mean, there were... Um, lots of games where Joe Hart was making lots of saves and keeping scores down. Um, I mean, balance of the side, Robbie mentioned as well. I think that is um, something that we just do seem to have that uh, knack now. We just seem to be a little bit more confident. There just seems to be 
um, just that structure within the the, 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 the back unit, so the, the goalkeeper and the four defenders, just seems so more, uh, so much more um, structured, confident. Call it what you like, but there just seems to be uh, a, a big change back there, and it, it can be personalities. It's hard to put your finger on it, but we do seem to have had that. Um, and we'll be looking to continue that as the season goes on because we, you know, we've got some uh, uh, tough games coming up. We've got a, um, a position where we need more wins to, to, to get to pull away uh, from the position we got ourselves in the early part of the season. Uh, but it does give you confidence that the way that the uh, the unit at the back is playing at the moment, um, and that we can we can continue the form we've been on, uh, picking up the points that we have been, and get those results on the board. Absolutely. I am still a little bit worried about whether or not we have got enough games left to get enough wins on the board to get us out of this. I mean, we are only three points clear of of that relegation zone, which feels pretty painful given that we've had three wins on the bounce and then a draw. It does feel like we should be further away from it than we are. Um, I'm really hoping that the relegated three will be Huddersfield, Newcastle and Fulham. Um, But I just don't think we're out of it yet. And I I just, I'm so worried about the the running at the end of the season and particularly the last four games that we've got are so shocking. Um, um, you know, it, it's a hugely encouraging to see that the performances that we're putting in and the improvements to the squad. But I just feel like we all just need to just keep one eye on that table and just be realistic about the fact that we're going to have to get quite a few more wins under our belts before um, we can get um, those points. Um, and one thing that we'll do that, of course, is scoring goals. And, and I think as we've already covered so far this podcast, the fact that we put in such a much more positive performance away from home on Saturday and, and got ourselves 12 shots it is is hugely positive and shows that Deitch is you know trying to drum it into the side and, and get them to the point where they're more ruthless in front of goal and they're more clinical with the finishing um, I think it was Robbie mentioned earlier on Chris Wood had I think what was probably one of his best games this season I thought he was really terrific and I'm so gutted for him that um, he didn't get on the score sheet and get us four straight wins on the bounce. So I don't think we can delay it any longer, chaps. We need to to go in there and we need to analyse this. Robbie, let's start with you. You cannot score a goal with your arm. And it was only the Watford defender's arm that played Chris Wood offside. What on earth was that decision on Saturday? Yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's a, it's a... The, the thing that really annoys me is that Leroy Sane scored for Man City, which was literally a carbon copy of where he's literally, there's a defender playing him on. Uh, sorry, he's actually, Sane's actually offside and it counts. And it's quite obviously offside. As this one, 24 hours prior, you know, it's we just can't seem to get that stroke of luck when it comes to an offside goal or anything like that or a soft penalty being given. You know, it's just one of those things, unfortunately. Yeah, well, we've talked quite a lot, haven't we, about inconsistencies in this league. Um, I, I just, I can't, I, I'm struggling to understand how the referee gave it because a lot of people are saying, oh, it was close. I don't think it was that close. I mean, it looked, when you look at the naked eye, it looks like he's onside because it's his arm that's stretched out, the Watford defender that, that plays him onside. Um, Dave, one of the things you talked about earlier on is is the fact that we need VAR in as soon as possible and we need to iron out these problems, especially with really fundamental things like that, which cost us two points. It was pretty much the last kick of the game, if not a couple of kicks before. So it, it was unlikely that Watford were going to be able to score an equaliser after that one. Um, what worries me a little bit, though, is, is whether or not the VAR rules are going to be sufficient enough to allow subjective interpretation of offside rules and something like that wouldn't surprise me if VAR comes in and we still get it ruled off for offside. Well, yeah, I think that's uh, part of the problem as well is that um, there will always be an element of subjectivity in there. Um, And it may well be that we've got to have a a, a tweak to the rules somehow. I mean, we have have to look at it in in terms of um, how we're going to get a fairer way forward because there is there does seem to be, certainly with the instances we've had before, the, the experiment with the FA Cup um, and the um, the decisions we've seen so far where uh, VAR has been implemented, that there's even inconsistency creeping in when you've got the VAR decision. So if you've got a chance to look at it and then you've still got the inconsistency, then are you much better off than you were before? Yes, it should get rid of the really, really obvious one. So you talk about... Know sixty seventy percent of them, they they they're done. But then you're talking about the other twenty thirty percent. 
you still got this uh, gray area question marks in there and if if there are uh those sort of decisions where you're still not getting the uh, level of consistency when the vars being used then supporters aren't really going to buy into it i think you you've got other sports where you've got it you've got the um uh, the, the the cricket where it works really well you've got the rugby where it seems to work really well in there with football we've not quite got a grip of it yet the technology is there we've used it really well i think the way it works now for the goal line technology is fantastic no one questions it it happens really really quickly and there isn't really an issue other than maybe the liverpool man city one where you know it was whatever it was uh, an, an inch or two centimeters from from going over the line the decision was the the right one i mean ten, tennis as well is another one we, we haven't spoken about in the other sports it seems to work really well but football for whatever reason can't get a grip of it and i think it might be a case of we do need to have maybe um, a tweak to the rule somehow the way the offside rule works to maybe allow that element to, i mean the, the, the rule as it stands is supposed to have that in there at the moment that the um, if it's a marginal decision, there's the benefit of doubt supposed to go to the attacking player, but that doesn't seem to happen. Um, so maybe we just need to have um, an extension of that somehow uh, within the rules of, uh, of football to to allow that to be the case and, and maybe to, to allow the goals to get to the point where, yeah, we, we, we have a true um, advantage to the attacking player for marginal decisions and they're given and VAR can't rule them out. It's, it's a case of, you know, if, if it's marginal, the, the, they're onside, ball goes in, it's a goal, provided there's nothing else happened in between, then the goal's given. So um, I think Gary Lineker had actually um, uh, hinted at that uh, this week as well. So um, we just need the uh, the football authorities to maybe listen to that a little bit, look at the practical side of it and try and get some sort of uh, system that works better for everyone. Yeah, something has to be done. It's quite interesting, really, because I think VAR's been negatively received by a lot of supporters just because of what it's doing to the live game and how it's impacting on the experience of the live supporter. It's it's really hard to support um well I guess maybe not support me. It's essentially football is going the way that the television audience rules and it's becoming a game of technical ex- excellence where as long as the, as the television supporter who is paying their subscription service to the company who are funding the Premier League, they take more priority over the paying fan who turns up to their local club on a Saturday afternoon and pays their um, ticket to to go and watch the game live. They're kind of bottom of the pile when it comes to, to priorities. And I think that's why the complaints about what VAR is doing to the experience of the fan and the delays and robbing fans of that chance to celebrate and, and the uncertainty in the ground is is not being looked at at the moment because, it, it, like I say, it's bottom of the list of priorities. Um, that said, on Saturday, as much as I've been fighting for the experience of the paying live supporter, I would happily sacrifice all of that to get decisions like Saturday right because... I wouldn't have cared if I'd have had to not supported for 30 seconds while it ironed out whether that was offside or not, as long as it was correctly given, because the sense of injustice at the moment that we had two points that were so badly needed this season taken away from us because we don't yet have the technology in a multi-billion pound industry um, is is unbelievable. Um, It really is. Um, So I think this Saturday has very much swayed my opinion on VAR and whether or not I'm for it or against it and whether or not it really matters and it might impact on the experience that I have as a live paying fan but who who will know um I did feel a little bit for Chris Wood because like I say he he did play exceptionally well on Saturday I would have liked to have seen him score a goal um for his efforts anyway um Robbie one thing that seems to be picked up on on a couple of newspapers is a couple of them I think it was the mirror and maybe somebody else who said that nobody seems to be commenting on the foul on Holobas in the build up to the to the get to the goal which should have been uh, pulled back for a free kick anyway now I've seen the replays twice and I can't tell what foul is on about did you spot anything that could have potentially discounted the goal anyway no I actually I didn't even know anything about it so <laughs> excellent I agree completely so we can discount those stupid reports from national media who just looking for some kind of controversy um one quick point before I go um Robbie Jack Cork 
possibly on Saturday the one player that I was maybe disappointed with. Um, and I think most reports after the game tended to agree. He he seemed to get across the board the lowest score in terms of player ratings. I thought he was a little bit wayward with his passing and just a little bit slow to react to a lot of places. Now, I uh, Jack Cook's one of my favourite players. I'm a huge fan of him. Um, but I'm just wondering whether or not it's time to give him a little rest. Um, not that we've got a huge amount of, um, I guess, <laughs> options in central midfield, but he does strike me as a player that could do with a couple of weeks just to, to refresh those batteries. I think I'm the only one because I thought Jack Cook was actually really good on Saturday. Uh, a lot of people mentioned Ashley Westwood, who had another top-class game. I thought Jack Cork was equally equally as good, to be honest. Um, I think as a midfielder, you are expect, you're, you're going to see a lot of the ball anyway. So I think in terms of where we're passing, it's going to happen. But to be fair, Natalie, you said that Charlie Taylor's rubbish. Wow. quite frankly, I think he's... <laughs> I, I got, Sweeping statement. Charlie Taylor is excellent now. Charlie, Charlie Taylor's progression, he's getting better and better yes. and better. If I thought he was our man of the match on Saturday as well. Well, as, outside of Heaton, I thought Heaton was probably our man of the match. But can I can, just... Yeah, yeah. Robbie, I didn't... <laughs> yes. Charlie, <laughs> see, this is what happens. It Sorry, makes me I get just all defensive. That, I? Ten games ago, Charlie Taylor was rubbish. <laughs> and I stand by that decision. Has Charlie Taylor improved since... Yes, he has. He is. I am really, really, really impressed with his play. I'd kind of written him off before Christmas and I was, I think I sent a tweet, a tweet out wanting to know when Stephen Ward was fit because I was getting really fed up and I was really, really frustrated by his lack of development and um, he just wasn't seeming to improve as games went on. But uh, coinciding with Heaton coming in, I agree, Robbie. I think Charlie Taylor is one of our most... Um, effective players at the moment and he's he's going to give Stephen Ward um, a tough time to get back into that side I think um, so thanks for that Robbie making me defend myself sorry I, I was like he's Freud in there <laughs> God, I only said that I thought Jack Cork had a poor game and all of a sudden I'm having to defend opinions that I've had all season. It's fine. That's what I'm here for. Um, Okay, well, I don't really have an awful lot then to talk about other than the Watford game. I think as entertaining as it was, there wasn't a massive amount to talk about in terms of action points on the field other than what we've discussed. So let's move away from off the field action. And one thing that Dave has already picked up on is the news this week that uh, McNeil has signed a new contract, which is music to all of our ears. Um, Dave, he's a fantastic talent and one that we now have until, let me check my notes, 2023, a four and a half year deal. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, very much. So. I think there's also a, a 12 month option for the club after that as well. So it's, uh, it is a, a long term deal, but he's, um, he's, he's still in the 19. Um, and he's come into the side. He's, he's looked at times our you know creative spark. He's uh, he's the sort of player who uh, who makes things happen, and he's got touches on the ball that we've not really seen from uh, from other players recently. And he's still developing. Let, let's uh, let's remember he's uh, he's still young. He's uh, still developing within the side. Um, but from what we've seen so far, obviously what the club has seen so far as well, um, they want to get him tied down to a to a longer deal which they've done um and you know we we've, we've got a lot more to see from Dwight McNeil going forward I'm sure of that oh I do hope so certainly starting this season and help us survive um Robbie I saw a tweet this week somebody I think sent to to Borden at the Telegraph um no Express I always get the wrong way around is Express yeah, isn't yeah, it he is. oh, I'm sorry Chris Borden's gonna absolutely kill me <laughs> He says this all the time and I'm like, I always get you the wrong way around. I'm so sorry. Um, somebody tweeted him this week and said, uh, which was quite an interesting point, given his new contract and his very speedy improvement and, and, and uh, progress in the Premier League, does that now mean that our need for a winger, this transfer window, is not as urgent as it was? Because in terms of wide players, we've got Brady, we've got Goodmanson, we've got McNeil, we've got Lennon. Um, albeit we struggle to keep all fitter than all four of them fit at the same time. Um, moving on to sort of transfer windows generally, do you think now that we've found him that we no longer need to prioritise getting a, a wide man? No, I don't think we need one anymore. Like I think it was back in September when we had a bit of a rant on on here about us not signing a winger in the in the summer, and Dwight McNeil's like stepped up so much, and certainly in the last 
three or four games he's been absolutely outstanding. Um, I saw I saw today we got we got linked with Stuart Dowling at Middlesbrough, and it's such a a backwards sideways kind of signing where we've got a young a young lad who's getting better and better each week, and we're sort of potentially looking at a, a thirty plus year old who's way past his best now. I'm assuming that those links were just for cover though. I'm not assuming that that's going to come in and change the game. I think we've talked before about um, frustrations in Burnley's transfer policy about we seem to keep signing fringe players or players that enhance the squad but don't necessarily immediately improve the first team. And I think that's probably the point that that the the tweet was getting at. And forgive me, I can't remember who it was so I would credit them with this tweet. Um, I think if you look through Chris Borden's Twitter (laughs) you'll be able to find out who it was. and I think that's the, the the question. That's maybe what he was getting at here, in that we don't necessarily need somebody to come in and improve the wide play. Assuming now that Brady can stay fit for the rest of the season, now we've only been linked so far in this transfer window to I think Jaden Bogle, who is Derby's eighteen-year-old. Um, is he right back or left back? Uh, yeah, right, right back. He's right back, isn't he? Yes, thank you. Um, and. He's an 18-year-old, so that's clearly one for the future and, and again, a a development player rather than somebody who's going to immediately prove the first team. Um, Starting with you, Robbie, before we come back on to Dave, given our lack of um, links to anybody, given the fact that West Brom have now announced that Jay's expected to stay with them for the rest of the season, where do you think we need to to strengthen in this transfer window? Uh, to be honest, I don't think we really need to. I think we've got two players at pr- pretty much each position. Obviously, like the goalkeeping department we've discussed. We've got Lawson and Bardsley for right-backs. We've got Taylor and Ward, left-backs. Our centre-backs are covered with Long and Gibson, who can always step up. Midfield, you know, Westwood, Hendrick, Cork, Defoe. Possibly, maybe in the, maybe in the summer, we can... Possibly explore getting another central midfielder in, especially with Stephen DeFore's fitness. Um, you know, we've got two wingers either side and we've got four strikers. So I don't think we'd, we'd desperately need to sign anyone right now. You see, that's where I'd got to as well in my head. But given the start we've had this season, given the size of the squad, given the injury problems we've had, in the same breath, it feels absolutely incomprehensible that we would not sign anybody this transfer window. Um Dave, I'll come on to you in a second, but I don't, where I sit with this is, yes, I agree with all of those things. And you look at each position and think, well, actually, we've got cover everywhere. So we probably don't need to drastically improve any of those areas. But the one thing that we're not doing enough of is scoring goals. And Deitch says week after week that we aren't being ruthless enough and taking the chances. Again, on Saturday, we had a chance to win that game 3 0. And we didn't take it because we just seemed to lack that killer edge in front of goal. And as great as all of our strikers are, they aren't prolific Premier League strikers. And actually, our strike force is championship. And I don't mean that in any way negative because every single one of them has served us fantastically well. But we have to be realistic about the fact that we're going to have to score more of the chances that we're creating if we are A, going to survive this season and B, carry on to improve in the coming seasons. So that, for me, then, I guess, changes the need for a wing, a wide player to a striker. And if Matty Vidro as a natural number 10 hasn't worked and Jay isn't going to come here staying at West Brom, that, to me, is probably a player in the market, somebody who's ruthless and somebody can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, so there you go, Dave. You've had Robbie saying we don't need anybody or it's not a priority to get anybody. You've got me saying I think we still need to get somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net. Where do you stand? I think it's difficult in January. You don't get um, uh, the value for money you do in the summer signings. I think the uh, the window is short and it tends to be sort of a, a panic buy, I think, a lot of the time for uh, the players who are bought in the January window. We don't tend to sign a lot of players in January when you look back at, uh, at previous windows we'll sign maybe one or, or maybe two not not going out and, and, and making as many signings in the January windows we do in the summer um, we haven't made too much use of loan signings so that might be one option one area that we do look at maybe a loan striker might be the uh, uh, order of the day but you know, it's one of those where we we may get through the window and and, and not sign anyone. It's it's perfectly possible. 
Um, it, it, we'll wait and see. We've still got another week or so left, haven't we, before the, the window shuts. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, Natalie, that in, in terms of the striking area, that's where perhaps you'd look to add to the uh, to the to the team to the squad um to give us maybe another option up front that that's that's maybe at the moment with where we are we t- do tend to uh, shore things up in uh, defense uh, of, of uh, well mainly in the last uh, six seven games uh, the midfield seems a lot more coherent now i mean westwood seems to be um, improving as the the game goes on. Going back to the point that um, uh, Robbie had made about Jack Cork, I, I thought Jack Cork had a decent game. It was a lot more low key, I think, the way he played than um, than Ashley Westwood. But I thought he had a decent, solid game. So I think that uh, um, looking at uh, people's marks of him during the game, I think if if, if he was the lowest scoring one, that, that was harsh based on uh, uh, the performance in the game. Um, but. Yeah, I think the, the, the forward area is one where you perhaps look at for that extra bit of spark um, and goals win games, as we know. So if we can get someone who can, you know, get, well, with half a season to go, get, you know, six, seven, eight goals, um, that could be the difference between finishing uh, 17th or 18th or finishing uh, 12th or 13th in the table. So that that's what I'd be looking at. Um, but obviously finances are a, a constraint and also who's available is a a constraint as well. I don't think there'll be that many options out there. So we just need to be um, very certain of who we sign is going to be someone that's going to come in and uh, improve the sign, uh, improve the side, um, and maybe loans might be the way to go if there's anyone available. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that I agree that funds should be constrained. I think we're one of the richest <laughs> clubs that there are going out there because we're not spending any of the money, or if we're not one of the richest, and there's a few questions that need to be asked where this money's going from. At the end of the day, we, we've had the benefit of the Premier League money now for, for quite a few seasons, and we're not spending it, albeit we're being told that we're spending it in line with our budgets and what we can afford to spend. But certainly in terms of of of, of spending if we wanted to buy a player i'm not entirely sure that i would agree that um finances should be constrained yes we can't afford to spend 40 million on on a player that but was my point. there yeah. are yeah <clears throat> that's just made that clear that I, you know i think there is money to spend out there albeit we can't compete with say spurs um people like that one of the, the it's interesting you talk about the loan sign and actually i think because i perceive us to have a bit of money now these days to spend i'd clean on forgotten about the loan market and the fact that yeah we, we don't have anybody on loan do we at the moment I don't think we do, do we? We no, send a couple back. out, but none, none in. Yeah, we've none in, have we? Um, that's a really good point, then, Dave, because a striker is a difficult player to buy anyway in the Premier League. So we're kind of going to have to be looking at um, maybe some really good strikers that that other Premier League clubs who aren't competitors of ours just aren't using and maybe seeing if they want to, to, to lend them to us to try and survive. Um, I think if we're going to look into the Championship for a striker, we should really be buying them rather than, than loaning them. Um, but that's a really good option. Do you know what one of the biggest problems is at the moment is the hurricane injury is going to really, really put a, a... I was going to swear then, so I'm not going to do it, listeners. But the hurricane injury is a problem because Tottenham are going to have to look into the market to try and buy a replacement. I mean, they were very lucky against Fulham in the end on, on Sunday and it just showed that they struggled against a side that might very well end up going down to put the ball in the back of the net. So if they're on um, a lookout for a striker, if we ignore the potential that strikers won't want to go to Spurs knowing that they're going to get dropped as soon as Harry Kane comes back to fitness, they may very well be in the market for a lone striker to cover for him. And where are they going to go if, if a Premier League striker is going to have a chance to go to Spurs and get into their first team or come to us? As much as we love Burnley and as much as we want us to be the better option, they're going to go to Spurs. Um, so actually, I think that could end up being um, an, an inadvertent problem for us is Harry Kane getting injured. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on the transfer window and we'll see whether or not anything happens in the next week and, and, and hope, well, next Tuesday's show will be probably the last one in a build-up to transfer window being closed so I think we'll have a look at it then and see if there's been any more links um but in the meantime we have a couple of Manchester teams to face and a couple of games one in the cup one in the Premier League so I'm going to hand over to Statman Dave before we analyze it and he's going to give us the head-to-heads for City away in the cup on Saturday and United away in the league the following Tuesday oh I'm doing both am I 
You are. No. Sorry, Dave. Did I put you on the spot there? Actually, you know what? We did City not. Uh, we did City not so long ago in the league. Yeah. So maybe gloss over City. Let's just do United. Let's have a look at United first. What's that looking like? Red. Do I want to know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. Always red. Yeah, Man, Man United, uh, we don't have the best record against. I think of all the teams in the Premier League, we've got to go back the furthest to find uh, a victory against Manchester United away from home. And that's all the way back to September 1962. So, yeah, there's not many people wow. around who will uh, remember. I was definitely not alive then. A fantastic 5-2 <laughs> No, me neither. Uh, <laughs> I think Robbie might have been. Robbie, were you alive in 1962? <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that old yet. <laughs> yeah, a 5-2 win we had back then when Harry Potts was manager. But since then, it's been uh, uh, a struggle for us at Old Trafford. Uh, we've not I mean, we, we, we've not played Manchester United as much as we've played a lot of other sides. Um, but we have struggled to get results there throughout the 60s. Um, not a lot in the... Uh, well, sorry, early 70s, but then a, a huge gap then. We played them once in 1984 um, in the League Cup match and uh, got beat 4-0. Um, and then we played them uh, four times in the Premier League. And the closest we came, really, is uh, last season. We had the uh, the 2-2, two, two, well, finished 2-2. Two, two. Um, we did really well in that game, got our nose in front, but then couldn't uh, quite hold on. We, we had the... Uh, uh, goal from Ashley Barnes and the uh, wonder free kick from Stephen DeFore, um, and couldn't quite hold on to that uh, that lead. But that's the closest Burnley have come to uh, to a victory at Old Trafford. We had the nil nil um, the season before that. That was going back to October 2016. Uh, Tom Heaton had uh, the game of his life, um, kept everything out in that game, and uh, I think Manchester United had that 29 or 30 shots. Um, couldn't get any of them over the line and uh, we came away with a, a point in that game. Um, but going back prior to that, we have uh, really, really struggled at uh, Old Trafford. It's, it's a tough game, for a uh, tough place for any, any side to go to. Um, and Burnley has certainly seen that and been on the back of some uh, some big defeats. Although there have, there have been draws in there. If you go back to the games in the 70s, when we were playing on maybe more of a level than we are uh, these days, um, we had four consecutive draws, so between um, back end, or actually early 1970, March 1970, we had a 3-3 draw, uh, we had a 1-1 draw the following season, then we had a, a, a cup game, we had a 1-1 draw, um, and then another 3-3 uh, three, three draw in 1973-74. So Burnley have had some joy, but only in terms of getting draws, and it's a, a long stretch back. Uh, going right the way back to 1962, uh, since we had a victory. And we thought it last season, we, we thought we'd got that, uh, we were getting that long-awaited victory at Old Trafford, but it uh, it wasn't to be in the end. No, it doesn't help as well that we, we're facing a rejuvenated United side that seems to be doing really, really well under Solskjaer. I think they've won six, haven't they, on the bounce, something like that. So it's seven um, I'm couple, certain... Is it oh, great? <laughs> Let's leave it at six because <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit better. Um, Robbie, I, I, this is really tough, isn't it? Because as much as the results on paper suggest that we keep struggling at Old Trafford, I always feel like we perform really well. I feel like being at Old Trafford brings out the best in this side, and we always put on a really brave performance, but we just just can't seem to to get that elusive win. Is this the week, do you think, that we're going to get at something from Old Trafford? Uh, probably not. I think, is it, I think United are, have they won six on the bounce, seven on the bounce, something like that. They have to lose eventually. <laughs> I mean, with our current form, who knows? But I'm not really expecting us to get anything. Um, but like Dev, we're just going over in the stats there. Our recent performances there have been really good. As in our when we got first got relegated under Sean Dyche, I think we got beat three one there. The first half at Old Trafford, we played some of the best football, and we're probably lucky not to actually get anything that night as well. Yeah, they, they mentioned the nil nil. We probably got away with that one. Then last year was was really positive. So if we can, if we can go there and play with that same same level of performance, then who knows? Do you expect him to change the squad? Do you think? I think I think we'll just line up the same way. Yeah, it's, 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 in terms of league, yeah, it'd be uh, same as Watford, I, I imagine. Yeah, I don't know why. I seem, I've got a funny feeling for some reason. I just feel like I feel like this is going to be the week. I feel like 
somebody's got to burst that little bubble that they found themselves in. And I just, it just feels like Burnley decide to do it. Um, Dave, do you have any expectations taking away your head-to-head stats? Do you think we can get anything from that game? Uh, we can get something from the game. I think it would be uh, we would need to be really on our A game and for them to have an off day, but we know it can happen. Um, yes. It's, it's one of those where Saturday's uh, an odd one with Manchester City. I think we're going to be making a lot of changes, even though it's a, uh, a really tough game, I'm suspecting... A, Certainly, from the point of view of getting players back in uh, who haven't had games, Brady Quinn back in, uh, Nick Pope, we'd expect to play in goal. We may see seven or eight changes again for uh, uh, for Saturday, similar to what we did for the uh, Barnsley FA Cup game as well. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to stay. I was going to stay on the City game with you then, Dave. While while you're talking about that. Um, okay. Again, I don't think that's one that we can particularly expect anything from. And I don't think anybody's that bothered anymore about the Cup with the league survival, the absolute priority. Um, are you particularly bothered if we get beat on Saturday or would you be really gutted to leave the Cup? Um, it, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because the, the Cup is our chance of, well, possible chance of, uh, of going on and, uh, and getting glory and getting uh, perhaps into Europe again if we can have a really good run. Um, we haven't done it in previous seasons, um, even coming up against non-league sides, obviously against uh, Lincoln, um, we weren't able to, to progress. So Manchester City is going to be a, a real tough ask. Um, I think it's one where you, you almost write it off, but you've all, you've got that nagging uh, feeling in the back of your mind that, yeah, may, maybe, maybe. I think you have to go. In, you have to go into every game with that uh, that attitude. If, if if you didn't, you just you know write it all off and just wouldn't bother at all. So I think I'm, I'm not expecting uh, us to win on Saturday, and I'm not expecting us to win on Tuesday. But there is um, certainly hope in there that we can get a result. Um, I'm, I'm more bothered, obviously, about the the Tuesday game. I think than the um, uh, than than Saturday. But it's one of those with the cup. It's every every round's its own. Um, its own game. If you, if you can get another round beyond the cup, then you know, thing, things do tend to change a little bit. Again, depending on who you get drawn um, against in the next round, we, we can't look beyond that. Saturday is going to be a really tough game. We saw already from the uh, league game what Manchester United, were, uh, Manchester City were capable of. Um, I think the score flattered them slightly in terms of some of the uh, refereeing decisions uh, they got. Um, and looking at the referees we've got for these games, well, I think we've got um, Graham Scott for the uh, City game on Saturday, who was the same referee we had uh, last season um, in the FA Cup against Man City. And then we've got our friend uh, Jonathan Moss for the uh, Manchester United game on uh, Tuesday. Oh, joy. That'll be great. As if we didn't have any more bad news in that our panel decide that we're not going to get anything out of the next two games. And we've got refereeing issues as well. Um Robert, thanks for that, Dave. Um, Robert, last word to you. Um, tell me we're going to beat one of the Manchester sides. Let's leave this podcast with something positive. I think we'll get beat 3-0 on Saturday. I think we'll get beat 2-0 on Tuesday. Hmm. I'm not sure if you maybe heard those instructions, Robert. Tell me we're going to win, <laughs> not get beat and yeah, concede five happen. goals. not going to happen. Oh, no, T- to be honest... I'd love to stay positive. I've got a little feeling in the depth of my bones that we're going to get a result from one of them. Um, I completely agree with Dave in that if we're going to get a a draw or a a win, I'd much rather it was at Old Trafford than at the Etihad because that would be much more beneficial. Um, But I've genuinely just got a feeling that we're going to nick something for one of these games. So watch this space, listeners, because... (sighs) We're going to be talking next show about a victory in Manchester. Um... I think that's all we've got time for this week, actually. We have looked at a fantastic away point at Watford. We have whinged about the lack of VAR and being robbed of a perfectly good two points when uh, Chris Wood was definitely onside. We've looked at matters off the pitch. We've looked at signings and transfer problems. We've looked ahead at two tricky fixtures away in the city of Manchester. Um, So just a couple of thanks then um, before we leave you for next week. Thanks as ever go to Robert and Statman Dave for joining me this week and talking through the hot topics of the week. Thanks to producer Matt for editing this and making us all sound a lot better than we did in the original record. Thanks, Matt. 
And thanks as ever to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back next week, a little bit later on in the week, after we've been to Old Trafford on Tuesday to dissect the two results at Manchester. If you have any questions, comments, topics you want us to talk about before next week, then do contact us at the usual channels. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next week. This has been the None and Ever podcast. I've been Natalie Bromley. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.